Hey everyone, you're listening to the 107 podcast where we get together every fortnight and sometimes more often to talk about technology, business, and the humans in it. I'm your host, Ivan Stegich. My guest today is Megan Glover, who is the marketing manager at Solhem Companies, an environmentally conscious real estate developer here in Minneapolis. She also happens to be a longtime client of ours at 107, and we've been working with Solhem for over 10 years and with Megan for over five. Hey, Megan, welcome. It's so good to have you on the podcast. It's great to be here, Yvonne. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. It's nice to be talking to you. So I'd like to start with Solhem Companies. Uh, I just kind of described it as an environmentally conscious real estate developer. Yeah. I mean, this is one of your founding principles. This is central to what Kurt Gunsbury was thinking when he first started Solhem back in 2008. Um, tell me about why. Why should this be a focus for a real estate company of all things? Yeah, good question. You know, I think the simple answer is because it's the right thing to do. And that's uh, that's kind of what Kurt's ethos has been from day one. If we're doing the right thing, it's going to also be smart from a business standpoint, and it's eventually going to pay off for us. Um, and another way to approach that is that now in 2019, so over 10 years uh, from when Kurt first started the company, um, you know, it's just kind of expected these days, I think. And I really think that if you're not focusing on sustainability as a company, it's probably something you should revisit. Yeah, it's I, now that you say that, that makes me um, realize that what Kurt was thinking about and what he was pioneering really in the Twin Cities was like nobody was doing that. And kudos to him for for approaching it that way. It's it. You're right. It's to be expected now. Yep, exactly. And uh, you know, I think it's it's part of our brand very deeply, but it's not even necessarily something we're talking about day in day out. Um, so it's very interesting to see how that's evolved over the past decade. So sustainability is one of the values that Solheim stands for. It's part of your brand promise. Yeah. Tell me about the other values that um, Solheim stands for. Yeah. So, Yvonne, I'm so glad you asked this because this year <laughs> we actually formalized a document, uh, our official Solheim brand book. And I must say that the process of putting the values down on paper and then distributing distributing them to the team has been really transformational. Uh, so here's what we came up with. Our purpose is to build beautiful, sustainable communities that people love. And we do it with kindness, grit, trust, and awareness. That's amazing. So I definitely, I definitely, <laughs> well, thank you. And, you know, it's something that we've, we've been doing, we've been feeling for a decade now, but it was never actually formalized and written down. And, and I don't think any of us knew what that would do to all of us, you know, on the leadership team, as well as the rest of the company, just once we were able to actually put that down into words and then present it to the team. It's, it's been a really fun year for us. That's lovely. It's so nice to hear 
um, that you've formalized that and that you've um, done what you've done and that it's been as transformational as it has. I We did this a few years ago and equally so like you kind of know what the culture is like and what you'd yeah. like it to be as a leader but once you put it down i mean there's a line in the sand yep exactly did you guys work with anyone to do that or did you do it internally how, how, what was the process like there we did it internally um we you know we read <laughs> we read a book a few years ago called traction which is written yeah. by oh you know traction okay um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> And it, it did kind of inspire us to formalize a, a lot of processes ac- across our company. And, and one of them was really starting with what does Solheim mean? And, you know, how can we teach someone that we have just hired what Solheim means in a month instead of a couple years? Because when I started, it took me probably a full year before I even really understood what the company was about and how cool it really was. So it kind of was, this is a way for us to actually expedite our training process so that Mm -hmm. as we're growing, as we're scaling, we're bringing people on and we need them to be feeling this a lot more quickly than one or two years. The thing that I originally struggled with when we first came out with, um, when we first formalized our values and our mission was how do I apply them to the day-to-day how do you like, oh, yeah, it's nice to talk about the fact that you do these this work with kindness and grit. But how do you remind everyone? How do you live them on a daily basis? They're, they're probably pretty new to you and maybe you've been trying to figure it out yourself. But what's your experience been with that? Um, this is maybe cheesy, but post-it notes. So I, I just <laughs> like, <laughs> I literally write these words down and they're on post-it notes staring me in the face. And you know, sometimes I'm looking at them, sometimes I'm not, but I will say that occasionally I'm writing an email and, and I'm about to send it. And then I get a glance of kindness and I look back at my email and I'm like, Ooh, you know <laughs> what? I'm going gonna, gonna to undo, send. <laughs> <laughs> undo, undo. Exactly. Undo, undo. Uh, <laughs> um, so yeah, I, I would say it's still a new process for us kind of figuring out exactly what that brand book literally does for us day in and day out. But, you know, I think the bigger thing we've learned so far is that it's just had a great effect on team morale, just made everybody feel a lot prouder about what our company does. And I, you know, that shows that trickles down that, that becomes clear in their interactions with residents and with contractors and, you know, with our cleaning staff. And it's just, um, it, it has a really positive ripple effect, I'd say. I love it. I love it. Okay, so let's talk about the first building that um, that Kurt worked on. Yeah. And this is just kind of a nice, neat coincidence that I like to bring up. And I, I you probably knew this, um, but Solheim is Solheim Uptown was built in the neighborhood of yeah. Uptown on yep. Holmes Avenue. And when I first saw that, I thought, hold on a second, did Kurt plan this? Because Holmes is an anagram of Solheim. Like, did he go to Holmes and say, okay, I'm going to call my company Solheim? Or did he look for Holmes because he had already, like, how did, what is going on? Okay, I love that you love this so much. Because honestly, Yvonne, 
I am pretty sure that nobody knew about the anagram until you brought it up to us however many, <laughs> however many years ago that was. So no, it was certainly not anything that was in his mind at the time. It is a very happy, fun coincidence though. Um, and yeah, I mean, Solheim, the name was actually inspired from Kurt and his wife, Catherine, their friends in, um, overseas in Sweden who had a beautiful seaside home that they had nicknamed Solheim. And, uh, I think Kurt and Kath were just always very inspired by the design and the love and care that they put into that home. And, um, and that's where the name came from. So that was the first one. And yeah. then and then there was another building, Sol yeah. which everyone calls Sol because it's an A, but it really has a little O on top of it. And I think that's how you're supposed to say it. And I think the that's homage to the fact that it's the second building, because I think yeah. Tua yeah. means two, right? Tua means two, yeah. But I will say, as far as the pronunciation goes, um, most of us just called it Sol which is incorrect, right? But everybody else would actually, like, inquiring potential residents would call it Soltiva. So, really? Um, yeah, so yeah. I have not heard that uh, iteration. Soltiva, yep, yep. Really? Yeah, so that was, yeah. you know, I mean, that's just what you're going to get when you kind of name your building something. When you put a character on, <laughs> on a letter somewhere where, right. where it's not usually there. <laughs> right, exactly. So, yes, that was our second son, so yeah, uh, Sun, S-U-N, um, so, so that was Solt, Soltva, and then Solhaven coming along, you know, maybe a year and a half after that, Haven yep. being a haven, so haven. Sun, Sun Haven, yep. And then you broke from the brand, and, and, this, and this is kind of what I want to talk about. I want to talk about from a marketing perspective. This is really interesting because yeah. you started out naming the building after you named the, after the company, and right. then you went with this motif of start, you know, keeping the sun part, the soul part of yeah. the name, yep. and then you branched out. Yep. But on one hand, you have the values of the company and the vision of your leader, right? Yep. And on the other hand, you have the individuality of each building you're putting up yeah. and the neighborhood it's in and being um, almost customized for that neighborhood. Right. So, like, how do you approach that and, and how has it evolved over the years? Yeah. So, um, it is a very interesting nut to crack. And I, I think... I, I feel like the nut keeps changing on me. Like when I started, <laughs> it was a peanut pretty easy. And then mm -hmm. now it's kind of like a really annoying nut, which uh, <laughs> a walnut is, <laughs> is that a really Those annoying, are annoying nut annoying to nuts, crack? Yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and this was all coming from Kurt. Kurt was the person that said, you know what? It's time to move on from SOL, Soul. We're going to name this building something totally different. And we're just going to keep changing it up from there. And that was really when the same time that I kind of came into my own as the marketing manager. So in some ways, it was just a really big challenge to me to figure out how we keep true to this idea of Solhem, even when we don't have that name recognition. Um, we're still learning, to be quite honest, and we're still figuring that out. I think a big part of it has been our websites. And, you know, you can speak to that from the very beginning. We kept a very kind of steady design for each of our buildings. So you mm -hmm. could see that continuity. Um, 
Yeah, even that connection. They, exactly. So just trying to build and cultivate that. And again, it's a work in progress. We're, we're getting better every year with it. And we've certainly, you and I have talked a lot about what the future looks like here. Um, but yeah, I, I'd say it's a, it's a big challenge. How has your own uh, thinking about marketing for the buildings and for Solheim evolved over the last five years? You've, you've mm -hmm. been with Solheim for about five years now, if I'm not mistaken. And Correct. I'm, I'm curious to, to, um, to hear like what you thought you would be doing in your job to start, hmm. what you actually did, and then how has that changed? Hmm. Yeah. So when I started, I was much more um, on the sales front. So I was, you know, boots on the ground, making the deals. And I think mm. that's, that's something that every new hire we have with the company, we want them to be able to lease an apartment. You know, that's the, the heart and soul of the business is can you, you know, invite someone in? Can you show them around? And can you get them to sign on the dotted line at the end? Um, and so That's kind of what I was doing when I started. And after about six months, I was getting a little antsy in that role. And I started kind of just, I think, thinking more big picture about what our marketing efforts could look like in general. And this is, you know, again, we're like a 10, 12 person company at this point. So we don't have departments. We have right. 12 people and all 12 people do uh, everything. Um, so I, I could manage a building. I could, you know, fix lease it up, clogged toilet. I could lease it up. <laughs> um, and so, you know, I think just really kind of developing those departments from the ground up has been how my job has evolved. And in doing so, I, I kind of ended up just being the marketing guru. It's not something I was formally trained in, but, um, you know, I, I just taught myself and learned and read a lot over the years. And it's, uh, it's kind of brought me to where I am right now. And we'll get to what we, what you originally were trained to do later on in the podcast. I, I have some questions about that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Good. Cause it's uh, really interesting. <laughs> let's keep those listeners st stay tuned for, for what, what Megan was really interested, uh, trained to do. <laughs> <laughs> so in preparing for the podcast, um, I was fascinated by the many different pieces of um, the kind of the, the, what you guys actually do. So yeah. I love that we've talked about the company and what the values are and, um, and how you function as an organization. I'd like to kind of move the lens a little bit now and talk about what you're actually doing. And you, you were like... I can't talk about everything we do. I don't know what, what all those things are. And I was like, Megan, come on. Come on. You know much more than what we do and what our listeners do. So I want to ask you, putting up a building is not non-trivial. Mm. There are many moving pieces. Yeah. What, what do those broad strokes look like in, in Kurt's mind? And then how does that trickle down to everyone And maybe it doesn't trickle down. I, I don't like that phrase. Maybe it's more collaborative. But mm. Kurt has an idea. Let's put a building up somewhere. 
you got to find the place, you got to find the property, you got to work with the city, you got to find a developer, that, a construction general contractor, you have to consider the marketing, the lease yeah, up, yeah. the operations. Tell me, tell me about those stages. Yeah, yeah. Um, so the first stage, and by far the most important, is the location. It's just number one. Um, yes, there are many empty plots in the city that you could throw up a building on. Uh, for us, it is where in the city is special. Uh, where are people going to want to live or where do they already enjoy living? You know, we try to get ahead of the curve if at all possible. Sometimes it's uh, it's hard to do that because it's a big risk. But um, for us, it's it's location, location, location. So that's number one. Um, and then after that, you know, it is uh, negotiate a price, uh, apply for a permit with the city, send that offer letter out to the investor pool, call our architect. And you know, where we are right now as a company, I would say a lot of this process is is pretty like set it's pretty formalized in a way mm. that that maybe five years ago each one of these steps was like really laborious and a lot of uncertainty and now it's like oh we have an architect we work with oh our investors are they come along with us and they they're committed to to the company and to our mission so we're good there uh, the construction bids we got a couple people that we like to work with let's see who gives us the best price we know the people that, you know, we need to work with with at the city. And so it's become a lot more streamlined over the year. And I, I think that's a big reason why we've been able to see some big growth this past year in terms mm. of, you know, having three buildings in the ground at one time, which is pretty, pretty major for us. So I, I want to try to go through a little more of the process. So you yeah. find the, you find this while you make the offer, you send the, you talk to the investors. Yeah. Um, at what point, um, not at what point, and then you have to get those con contractors in to actually start working, right? Yeah, yeah. Can you Can you give me an idea about how long it takes you to put up, um, let's say, a recent building that's, I've noticed there's six, six, typically six stories, and we could talk about that yeah. as well, but a recent building, six stories high. Um, how long's the first part? How long's the middle part? How long's the end part? Oh, tough question. I mean, the, the parts can be a different length depending on who the contractor, who the construction mm. contractor is. Some, some teams work more quickly. Some teams take a little bit longer, but then the finished product is ready to go. Um, I'd say in general, start to finish from finding the location from that very day, it's about 12 to 18 months in general. So, um, wow. Yeah. yeah. That's actually really fast when you think about it. I mean, this yeah. is a, this is a building that you are gen uh, creating homes for people yeah. for more than, uh, I, I actually don't know how many apartments in such a building, 150, a hundred Anywhere, our buildings, anywhere we've done from 48 on the small end up to 198, which is our going to be our biggest property and it's opening next year. So, um, so that, that's a lot of homes for a lot yeah, of people. Yeah, and 12, 12 to 18 months is not a long time to go from nothing to homes and to people moving in and to operational. Yeah, it's and pretty cool. That's, that's very cool. That's... that's um, reshaping our city fast yeah, honestly yeah. yes it is and i think you know what a good point to call out how fast 
you know, we are changing the fabric of the city and, and it makes it even more important for us to really, you know, have a strong sense of who we are and, and our values so that we're not making mistakes because you make a big mistake when you're moving fast and it can have pretty serious consequences. So we, we don't take that lightly. No, no, I'm, I'm so glad that, um, that's the case. Um, I want to ask you about the challenges you might have in Minnesota um, from a construction point of view that you might not have, say, in a warmer climate. Hmm. And I'm a- I'm asking this specific question because when we when we were a brick and mortar company and we had an office, we had an office right side right outside of where Soltva went up. Yeah. And I remember I remember the middle of January walking back to my car to the parking, snow falling, ten degree Fahrenheit weather, and you guys are pouring concrete and there are men out there working and like I'm like, that is crazy. How is this even possible? Yeah. So t- tell me about some of the challenges um with construction. Yeah. Um, so, you know, as you know, and other listeners who live up here, Minnesota has a very harsh climate. Um, and of course our construction crews are prepared for it. So, you know, I, I ran this topic by the VP of development for our company this morning, who does a lot of our architecture and design work, uh, Jason Lord. And I was like, Jason, like what, what exactly is possible or not possible when it's so cold? And his response was, actually, it's not that hard to build in freezing temps. The hardest part is is the earthwork, so when you're actually moving the ground. So for us, as long as the ground isn't frozen, uh, you can basically do anything. Um, One one kind of funny thing (laughs) is that one of our supers, Kevin, he, uh, he uses a popular construction phrase with his team that quote, the heat is in the tools, end quote. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, you know, it's hard for the guys. It's, it's hard for the men and women out there um, because it's so cold. But, uh, hey, the heat is in the tools. So The heat is in the tools. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I was talking to one of my uh, colleagues, and we were talking about Kurt's uh, success. And yeah. we all we – all, um, noticed and were surprised by the fact that, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, um, I think every building that you guys have put up has been six stories high. I don't mm-hmm. think there have been buildings that have been higher than that. Yeah. Um, and my friend said, oh, I don't get it. I mean, don't, don't the economies scale? Like, once you go go higher, like, isn't it? not like if you're going to go to 12 floors, it's not going to be double the cost of being at six floors. It's going to be less than double. Like there is some, and, and I was like, dude, I don't know. We should really, <laughs> we should really ask Kurt. Cause this is all conjecture on our part. Yeah. Maybe there's a law or something that says yeah, you can't yeah, go yeah. higher than six. I don't know. Yeah. What, what's, what's the deal with that? Okay. So here's the deal. Um, and, and a very, very minor correction, but we have built up to eight, so that oh, is our have. highest. Yeah, Borealis okay. is actually eight stories. Uh, but oh, in general, yep, in, in general, we're we're working with six to eight. So ninety-five percent of the reason there is economics. Um, and then maybe the other five percent would be zoning ordinances. 
But but for the most part, unless you're building in you know a historic neighborhood or a a, a certain residential area, you know, um, you you can build as tall as you want. The thing to keep in mind is that there's a fixed cost as soon as you put that hole in the ground. So when you're considering that, you know, it is actually way more expensive to build taller than it is to build shorter. So maybe you might think that, oh, hey, you know, if you build 20 stories, that would be not that much more expensive than just having built 10. No, it's quite a bit more expensive. So uh, for us, it's just a a purely economical reason. We just don't, we're we're just a little bit too small of a company to be throwing up those big commercial high rises. Um, And, and so we kind of stick to what we know. And we also, we also keep in mind that we want to maximize density wherever we go. So if we're building a six to eight story building, we take up as much of the plot of land as we can surface area wise so that we're able to put in as many units as possible. And I, I think that's a smart, you know, uh, environmental uh, way to approach it and financial way to approach it. Okay. Now I can go back to him and say, listen, yeah. uh, this is this is how it works. I <laughs> listen, got it. Buddy. <laughs> listen, buddy. <laughs> yeah, it's just, uh, it, it's such a big project and it's so expensive. And you see some people coming into Minneapolis and doing it now in like, you know, the downtown Northeast area, you're seeing major high rises, but those are big multinational firms that just, you know, they can just afford they can to do, do that and they afford that. to do it yep. yeah yep. yeah exactly yeah. um there's been some uh i i don't know i've read in the news that one of the trends in on the east coast and the west coast and that's come to minnesota as well has been this idea of micro apartments hmm. and i know that uh you guys have built some buildings that are micro apartments yeah. are you are you seeing that trend continue or um what what does are other people doing micro apartments and and maybe maybe you should give our listeners a definition of what a micro apartment actually is yeah so you know we define micro units as 400 square feet or less in general i think the standard definition is actually 500 square feet or less um but the way we approach it in our building design is typically 400 or less now, yes, it is absolutely a trend. And what I think is kind of cool is that our company kind of started that trend in Minneapolis. <laughs> we, we built a yeah. building in the North Loop, um, NOLO, which, which was kind of the first of its kind with the micros. And it leased up incredibly fast and it rarely turned over. So we, we just saw that, hey, the market is right for this. People want to live more minimally. Maybe it's Marie Kondo's book. Everybody's just like... Everybody talks about it. Everybody's talking about it. But hey, yeah. throw it all away. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. You know, it's it's simpler. You can focus on being outside and traveling. And, and when you come home, you just have a, a, a very simple, elegant place to to live. And, um, and it's, not, it's also cheaper. You know, we can provide a, a home for people at a much lower rate than if we were to give them a 700 square foot one bedroom. So, you know, we're still doing obviously all variety of sizes, but um, yeah, we have definitely shifted to the micros a bit more. That's really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
you and I interact um, and we we're mostly focused on the website, on yeah. the marketing, on being the digital marketing team for uh, Solheim. And so that's that's my lens into how Solheim works. But I'm curious about the rest of the kind of your own digital infrastructure and your technology. And I'm 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 wondering about what role technology plays in your organization, in how you function, and by extension, how your buildings function and how um, how has that changed and what, what does technology do for you these days? Yeah, um, it's, uh, it's absolutely changed and it continues to, I'd say technology continues to play a, a bigger and bigger role every year. Um, a, a big part of that is the shift to automation and, mm. you know, it's permanently changed the face of, of all businesses and ours is no exception. So we're kind of having to think like, what does automation look like for a company like us and how can we stay true to who we are while we, while we are kind of adding these certain features that might seem a little bit more impersonal. Uh, one, one example is like virtual leasing. So for instance, you know, how can we offer someone out in Seattle who's moving to Minneapolis a completely seamless experience, 100% remote, where they feel like they know exactly who we are, what they're getting, and they're really, really excited and jazzed to put down a deposit 2,000 miles away. Um, I think there's a big part of automation that comes into that, but at the same time, you know, we're, I think we're even more kind of focused right now on how will we continue to keep it personal? Because as much as technology is super important and it will always play a, a large role, we know that being, having that personal touch is what's really memorable. Um, so that's we're kind of I'd say at a crossroads right now with kind of figuring out the best way to to automate and and stay true to who we are. Especially when you um, one of your values is that you need to be kind. Yeah. Um, and having that personal touch is certainly a way of being kind yep. to potential residents. And once you're a large company there is a risk of becoming anonymous and this, and I think that kindness goes out the window when that happens. Yes, exactly. So it's, def it's definitely a challenge. I have an idea. Yeah. What if someone in Seattle who's looking to lease up or is looking for a place to, to make their home, yeah. looking for a lease with you, what if they could put on a virtual reality cardboard box on their phone and they could walk through one of your new apartments yes. with you by their with you by their side <laughs> as you walk through the bedroom and the kitchen and the yeah. beautiful windows and look out at the view of something that doesn't even exist yet or of something that actually does exist yeah yeah exactly i mean i think i think that's where we're headed avon and uh, really oh yeah absolutely and um i again like we want our friendly face to be a part of it. But I, yeah. I do think that the next generation is just kind of wanting to take care of all this stuff on their phone. They'll just want to do it on their phone. I love yeah. it. Let, let me know how we can help you because that sounds really exciting to me. I, like, that's awesome. Yeah. I mean, I think we'll probably be chatting about this. We already chat okay, a lot. Good. So yeah. Talk to you next week. <laughs> all right. <laughs>
<laughs> so right now you're working on three buildings simultaneously, yes. right? That's pretty brave and optimistic and scary at the same time. At least it would be for me. Yeah. Um, t- tell me about the three buildings. Where are they? Um, like, what's next after them? Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Give it. Give me. Give me something about them. It is. It is. Um... It's scary for me too. So yeah, I, uh, I actually have a job coach this year that I've been working with. And, um, a few months ago, I, I remember telling her like, Ooh, this is about to get real for me because my job has always been like one building at a time. And basically now I'm going to be doing three buildings at the same time in the same amount of hours a week. So just give me some uh, tips on how to <laughs> get Good for that. you for having a coach. That's the best thing I ever did as well. Oh, my God. Well, yeah. yeah. So does, does she say delegate? Oh, <laughs> yes. It's a post-it. Yvonne, it's Is a it post-it. really? Oh. Oh, yeah. I have, a, I have a delegate post-it at my workstation. So, yes. That, that, Brilliant. It, it's been a game changer for me for sure. Um, so the buildings in the ground right now coming up, we have – uh, let's see, one in Northeast Minneapolis called the Gibson, a uh, 159-unit building. And these are all going to be in the seven- to eight-story range. Um, another one over in the Mill District, which is a, a new place for us to be developing. So that's exciting. Um, and that building is actually called Ox Op. Very odd name, but it pays homage to an art gallery that used to be at that location called Oxop Gallery. Mm. And what's kind of fun about that is um, we, we worked with that former owner to actually bring an art gallery into our building so that we'll have two separate entrances there, one to the residences and then the other to um, an actual art gallery. So that's, that's going to be pretty cool. That's awesome. Yeah, we're, we're super excited. And then the last one in the ground is uh, back in the North Loop, our, our kind of happy place, I'd say. Uh, and that one is going to be called the Archive. It's a very large 198-unit uh, building. And I'd say the, the most interesting kind of uh, design element to this building is that there's going to be an open-air promenade uh, that cuts through two wings of the building. So we're really mm. going to be encouraging that kind of public interaction with the space. Um, and, uh, hopefully having some, you know, little boutiques move in there and just, and just add to the the character of the neighborhood even more. So some, some retail on the first floor. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that sounds cool. Yep. Uh, and that, if I'm not mistaken, that one's over by the Federal Reserve, right? It is. Yep. It's uh, it's a block or gosh, half a block from there. Uh, and then on either side of that building, there are two historical structures that, that will remain untouched. So it'll kind of provide a really neat new old juxtaposition um, on, on one single block. So it's, it's, I think it's going to be really beautiful. And there must be challenges involved in, in like being able to make sure that what's historic around you mm-hmm. remains preserved yep. and solid and can, I love, I love that there's that attention to detail from Solheim that does, that that's a concern as well. I, yep. I think, you know, kudos to you guys for that. Well, thank you. 
we are coming to the end of our podcast. Uh, we're going to be wrapping it up here pretty soon. But um, I wanted to talk about what you're actually trained to do <laughs> compared to what you're doing now. And if I'm not mistaken, you are a cra- classically trained pianist. Yes, Is that right. That's right. Yep. <laughs> tell us, tell us a little bit about where you grew up and and what path you took becoming a pianist and then. Uh, moving to Minnesota and working at Solheim. And yeah, do you still? Yeah. And also, do you still play? I do. I do. Um, so I play mostly for fun, which is is a big kind of difference from from when you're training to be a concert pianist. I think it, it's. Um, I relate it to basically training for the Olympics, but like all the time, constantly. So <laughs> every year. <laughs> You never go to the Olympics and then it's over. You just keep training for the Olympics. Um, And for me, it became, you know, I started playing when I was five. I loved it. I did it because I loved it. I got very serious. I was talented. And uh, I just eventually got to a point in my mid-20s where I was like, you know what? There's more to life. And I don't want to train for the Olympics all the time for the rest of my life. Yeah. but it, it, it really, it gave me so much in terms of just discipline and, you know, opened my eyes to, to the world of classical music, which is something that I hope everyone can find at some point. Um, and, and it did ultimately lead me up here in a weird way uh, to Minnesota because I, I met my husband when I was in graduate school. Um, in southern Indiana, and he ended up taking the leap to move up here for a job, and so I followed him up, and I I became friends with someone who lived in one of the Solheim buildings, and she oh. one day, you know, I was kind of like bouncing around teaching piano, but I wasn't really happy with it, and she she was like, hey, I know this really cool company, I think you should take an interview with them, and I had no idea about property development and management. Yeah. It was, it was yeah. a brand new thing for me, but you know, I kind of trusted that the, the culture seemed like a good fit and, uh, interviewed with Kurt and that was the beginning of, <laughs> that was, beginning that of the was end. it. Kurt, Kurt saw the potential and, <laughs> yes. and was very smart to, to offer you a job. So yeah. good for him for doing that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, th- thank you. Yes. And I, I think for him, he was like, Oh, concert pianist. Okay, cool. Like she's, she's, uh, <laughs> She's kind of crazy, but in a good way. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm glad it's worked out. It's worked out really well, hasn't it? It sure has. <laughs> well, thank you for uh, spending your time with me today. Thanks for talking about Solheim and the values and what you guys stand for and taking me through the um, kind of the process of putting a building up and also through that little path through being a concert pianist as well. It's been yeah. really, uh, it's been really awesome talking with you today. Yeah, it's been a great chat. Thanks so much, Yvonne. Megan Glover is the marketing manager and former concert pianist at Solheim Companies, and you can find them online at solhem.com. You've been listening to the 107 podcast. Find us online at 107.com slash podcast. And if you have a second, do send us a message. We love hearing from you. Our email address is podcast at 107.com. Until next time, this is Ivan Stegich. Thank you for listening.